Amen, amen. Thank you, Travis. Welcome to our online service here Wednesday night as we continue our journey through Jeremiah in the Old Testament. What an incredible study it has been, will continue to be. As we're getting towards the end of the book of Jeremiah, you can get your Bibles ready. In chapter 43 is where we're going to begin our study. And uh, we have looked at 42 chapters of Jeremiah. And it certainly has been uh, powerful and enriching and a blessing and encouraging uh, as we've looked at this Old Testament major prophet Jeremiah that was ministering to a nation that is dying spiritually and would end up um, going through the judgment of God as we have seen thus far that Jerusalem ended up being destroyed by the Babylonians. So get your Bibles ready. Chapter 43 is where we're going to begin tonight. Um, just a couple quick announcements that I want to give to you before uh, we get into our study is uh, as we've been doing on Sunday, the in-person Services 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock. Register for those services on our website, calvarychapelgreeley.org. That's O-R-G. And you also get the e-bulletin there with all the latest uh, things taking place here at Calvary Chapel. I do want to remind you, as we made the announcement on Sunday, that first of all, there will be no young adults on Friday, and there will be no high school group me- meeting on Saturday. So Pastor Luke is gone. It's just for this week, and then the following week they will pick it up uh, once again on Friday nights for the young adults and the high schoolers on Saturday. Also, mark it on your calendar, October 25th, 6 o'clock. Um, they're planning on doing it outside if the weather holds, a hymn night, uh, just to have a hymn night outside and uh, to sing the old hymns and uh, we're hoping to have some hot chocolate and things like that out there for you. So good way uh, to you know enjoy the fall season and uh, we'll announce that again on Sunday. So October 25th, which is a Sunday, a week from this coming Sunday, hymn night in the backyard if the weather holds. If not, then we'll do it inside here in the building. Uh, everything else, again, that uh, is taking place here, you can look at our website uh, or on the e-bulletin, which is on the website. Uh, the mobile app uh, you can download as well. And those are great tools for you to be able to just stay connected with us and all the things that are going on in the latest teachings. Father, we do ask that you would bless this time as we uh, get into your word once again. There's so much here for us to consider as we look at what happened to a people that ignored your word. They would not listen. We know the consequences are real for us today. We even see a a nation that's getting further away from you. And as we look around, it breaks our hearts. So, uh, Lord, we want to be built up and encouraged. But also we see there's warning given here for us as Christians and also uh, for our nation as well. So uh, as we're getting closer to an election just a couple weeks away and we lift up our nation, we pray that there be a turning to you, there be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit with our leaders, uh, elected officials amongst the people, because you are our hope, Lord. You're the hope for our nation. And I pray, Lord, that um, that we as Christians right now, that we would discern the times in which we are in. And, Lord, that we would understand that every dot and tittle of your word is going to be fulfilled. Even as Jeremiah spoke the word that would happen to people that rebelled against the Lord, that it took place. 
But we also know that there is warning for us in the day in which we are in and where all of this is headed to. And, um, and that is the kingdom of God that's going to come and be established forever. So stir our hearts as we read these verses and, and Lord, touch our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this point in our study in Jeremiah, Jeremiah has been ministering for over 40 years, delivering the word of the Lord, which, of course, included uh, warnings and included um, the, the exhortation uh, to turn back to the Lord, to the people of God, the house of Judah. The house of Israel, the ten northern tribes, have already gone off into captivity well over a hundred years before Jeremiah is speaking these words. And they went off into captivity by the Assyrians. And now we see that the Babylonians were used of God to come in initially in 605 B.C. and to begin the captivity that would last 70 years. As Jeremiah said, that 70 years is going to be the captivity. Then God will visit you. And they eventually would come back into the land to rebuild the temple. Only a small remnant would come back in 536 B.C. So all these things that we've talked about, and as we know that at this time that we enter into chapter 43, that Jerusalem has been destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed the third time that Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem. He uh, had destroyed the the holy city, Solomon's magnificent temple. And, And as you read, as I've mentioned before, how Solomon built the temple, It was large stones, ornate stones that were used, overlaid with gold. All that is rubble now as God's holy city uh, laid in waste. Just as Jeremiah told Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, do not rebel against Nebuchadnezzar or death, destruction, and devastation is going to come, which it did happen. But I want to give you a little historical note, uh, a historical note, which is of prophetic interest. And that is that here uh, we know in the Old Testament that David would conquer Jerusalem. And that's where the temple would be built. His son Solomon would build it. And for these hundreds of years, Jerusalem, uh, the eternal city that God chose uh, to where he would have his temple, God's holy city. That's what the phrase that we use and and read about here in the book of Jeremiah. And and as uh, Jerusalem was God's holy city, we know that here it is, that it is destroyed. In 605 B.C., when the Babylonians came in and they took over Jerusalem, they took the fine and choice men of, of Judah away captive, which would include Daniel, that's when the captivity began. And ever since that time, we see that they would be under the rule of the Gentiles. In other words, that after the Babylonians, then came the Medo-Persian Empire. After the Medo-Persian Empire came the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great. And then after the Grecian Empire came the Romans, the mighty Romans, who were ruling during the time of Jesus' birth and his ministry uh, uh, up until the time of uh, Jerusalem being destroyed the second time. And that is by Rome in 70 AD, where the second temple was destroyed. And it was a magnificent building. We've talked about that before in our previous studies. And then the Jews would be dispersed throughout the world, and Jesus even spoke about that. And what is significant is Daniel, who is ministering during this time of Jeremiah, that he is given these prophetic, um, 
you know, visions he, he, that he has, interpreting the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 2, that speak of these Gentile nations from the time of right now that Jeremiah is ministering, uh, that Daniel would be ministering there in Babylon up until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he would speak of these Gentile nations coming on the scene with the image of uh, that man of different metals in Daniel chapter 2, uh, with the uh, vision that Daniel had of the four animals. And the fourth one was a beast that was dreadful, speaking of Rome, but also in Daniel chapter 2, in that image, the ten toes, the feet that had iron mingled with clay, and then uh, the fourth beast that had ten horns, and a little horn came up in the midst of it. It spoke of a revived Roman Empire that was different than the Roman Empire, but an extension. It was connected to somehow. So many end-time prophecy teachers refer to that as the revived Roman Empire that will be in existence at the time uh, in the last days when Jesus Christ comes back. So we know that from Daniel chapter 2. But what is interesting is when Jesus talked about um, Jerusalem that was going to be destroyed in 70 AD, he's given the Olivet Discourse. And Dr. Luke, who was Greek, he, he was not Jewish. He was a Gentile. He gives the Gentile perspective that Matthew and Mark in the Olivet Discourse don't give. And Jesus, he's talking to his disciples about the destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, Jerusalem's going to be surrounded by armies to know that the desolation is near. And he would go on to say, there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And listen, Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So that term, the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled, there's different thoughts uh, you know, when exactly that is. Uh, We do know that it began in 605 B.C. Ever since then, that uh, Israel did not sovereignly rule over the land. It was somebody that ruled over them. As I said, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, and the Greeks, and then uh, Rome, and then they were dispersed throughout the nations, as Jesus said, that that would happen, um, and they're going to disperse you uh, throughout all the nations until the uh, times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So some believe, as, as we know, for 2,000 years, they were out of their homeland. They become a nation again in 1948. So some believe that the time of the Gentiles here that is uh, discussed was fulfilled in 1948. But during that time, when Israel first became a nation, that half of Jerusalem was still under the rule of Jordan. It, it was in the country of Jordan. You can go to Israel today like we've made our trips. And right in the middle of Israel, there's the street. It, it used to be the Green Line. It was the separation between Jordan and Israel. And matter of fact, the hotel that we stay in, if it was before 1967, we would have been in the country of Jordan. And that includes the Temple Mount where Solomon's temple was and where the second temple was, East Jerusalem. And as some look at it, they say, well, that's when the times uh, the Gentiles are fulfilled. And again, we're not going to go into it in detail. It's an interesting study that you might want to look at yourself. 
but an absolute miracle that God would bring Israel back uh, as a nation, a literal, physical nation, just as was predicted by the prophets. Even Jeremiah speaks of it. And Jeremiah speaks of the ultimate fulfillment when they will all come back. And when Christ comes back and he begins to rule and reign from Israel, and uh, David will you know, be ruling from Israel, uh, Jesus sitting upon the throne of David, all these things that we've discussed. But some say that, no, not 1948 was the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled, but they will look to 1967. In the Six-Day War, what happened was that Israel captured East Jerusalem and all the way you know, to the Jordan River and uh, took that. And so for the first time, really, an absolute miracle since 605 B.C. that they ruled over East Jerusalem. And matter of fact, the Israeli flag flew over the Temple Mount uh, for a number of days. But some say, no, that's not the time of the Gentiles being fulfilled because, number one, the Temple Mount, the most, uh, the most controversial piece of real estate in the whole world, is under the authority of the Muslims, with the Dome of the Rock being there. They allowed the Muslims to, to administrate that uh, Temple Mount area, even though Israel sovereignly rules over it. So some say, nope, that's not the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled. But it's interesting. Others say it will be at the end of the tribulation period. And I want to read to you from Revelation chapter 11 when John is told to measure the temple. Now, we know that there's no temple in Jerusalem today, but there is going to be a temple that's going to be rebuilt, a third temple, which is called the Tribulation Temple. And John's told to, to measure the temple, but leave out the court, which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So we see that the city is going to be treaded under, trampled under, by the Gentiles for 42 months. Chapter 11 of Revelation takes place in the middle of the tribulation period, so that's talking to up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Some say that's when the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. So an interesting note, but God is bringing the Jews back into the land, part of the scenario of end-time prophecy. Jerusalem is really the epicenter and the Temple Mount area of end-time prophecy. So we are to watch that and see the events that are taking place. Absolutely amazing. But let's get into our study of Jeremiah chapter 43. As we know that Jerusalem has been destroyed, and then as we went through those chapters of 41 and, and uh, 42, we see that um, Gedaliah, even chapter 40, he was left to be the governor over that area of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar made him governor, and we saw that there was a remnant of people that were hiding on the east side of the Jordan River in the area of the Ammonites, that they came, and, and part of that group was Ishmael and, and Johanan and some other guys. They came to get a lie, and they said, listen, uh, what's going to happen to us? What are the Chaldeans, which are another name of the Babylonians, what are they going to do to us since we've been hiding? And Gedaliah said, listen, just submit to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, and you'll live here in peace. He said, you'll have fruit and oils. Um, you'll uh, have uh, the land that you'll dwell in that uh, will be you know, here for you. It will be well with you. 
don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Now, that was the message that was given to the kings of Judah before Jerusalem was destroyed, and yet they did not heed the word that was given to them through Jeremiah. So here they're told, you guys, Jerusalem's been destroyed. Most of the remnant of the people, there's only really a few people left that take care of the land, that you'll be able to work the land, collect the summer fruit and the wine, and um, it, you'll have abundance. It'll be good with you, which was a good deal. They didn't get carted off into captivity. Well, what ended up happening, if you've been with us in our study, is that uh, Gedaliah ended up being killed. He was warned by Johanan that, hey, this guy Ishmael, he's plotting with the king of, of the Ammonites, and they want you dead. And it was Gedaliah that said, no, that's not true. He was naive. He did not take heed to the warning. So chapter 41, Ishmael, uh, he ended up killing Gedaliah, the, the governor. And he kills some of the Chaldeans that were there and the people that were there. And he's holding the rest of the remnant there hostage. And then a group of, of men, 80 of them, come up to worship and to sacrifice there at Mitzpah. There was a tent that was erected because Solomon's temple was destroyed. And he ended up killing most of them, 70 of them. Ten uh, ended up not being killed. But we looked at all this. This guy was ruthless. And he then uh, would go on the east side uh, of the Jordan River and took the remnant there. Johanan goes and rescues those people. Ishmael gets away, and he ends up bringing the people, that remnant of people, back to Judah, to the area near Bethlehem, which was south of Mitzpah, south of Jerusalem. And, and there, they're afraid. Uh, here's Johanan. It seems like he's a good guy. It seems like here he comes to the rescue. And he comes to Jeremiah, as we saw in chapter 42 last week, and he says, we want to hear from the Lord. They're afraid that when Nebuchadnezzar finds out that Gedaliah was killed, that they are going to suffer the consequences of that. And Nebuchadnezzar and the army is going to come in and kill all of them. And what Jeremiah says is, I will give you the word of the Lord. If you're truly wanting to seek the Lord, I won't hold back anything. And, and that was Jeremiah. He gave truth. And he told them that if you stay here in the land, you don't have to worry about Nebuchadnezzar, that it will be well with you. Again, we see that, that message of stay where you're supposed to be, where God wants you to be. It will be well. But if you go to Egypt, they were looking to go into Egypt, and Egypt will be safe, will be far away from the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar. But Jeremiah says, this is the word of the Lord given to you, that if you go to Egypt, then you are going to be put to death. It's going to be bad news. So Jeremiah knows, you know, what they're going to decide. He's warning them. And we know even though they seem to be spiritual, wanting to hear from the Lord, we see that they're actually ignoring the Lord. And Jeremiah, at the end of chapter 42, he says that you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, um, your God, or anything which he has sent you by me. Jeremiah knows that they're not going to receive the word of the Lord. So let's open up chapter 43 as we do read. Now, when it happened, when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God has sent him to them, 
all these words that Azariah and Johanna and all the proud men note that proud men. These guys are full of pride. They spoke saying to Jeremiah, you speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has sent against you, has set you against us to deliver us to the hand of the Chaldeans that we may be be put to death or carry away captive to Babylon. So here is Azariah, Johanna, this guy that seems like a spiritual guy. Hey, Jeremiah, seek the Lord for us. We'll do whatever it is that the Lord tells us to do. And now they come along, they say, Jeremiah, you speak falsely. And Baruch, you know, has talked you into this to do this, to, to come against us so we can be put to death by Nebuchadnezzar or carried off to Babylon. So the, respo- the response of Johanan and his friends is, is an interesting response because they don't desire to hear from God. And as soon as Jeremiah tells them the word of the Lord, they get all arrogant and they challenge Jeremiah's truthfulness. You're not speaking truthfully. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, of course, you know the verse says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And these proud men here that is told to us, coming to Jeremiah, challenging his word, they are going to end up experiencing destruction and devastation. And they're in for a big fall because they reject the word of the Lord. Proverbs, as you read that book of wisdom, speaking of godly wisdom, tells us that there is a difference, and you really see the contrast between um, walking uh, down the wise path, the godly path, or down a foolish path, the worldly path. Uh, It tells us the difference between uh, walking in light or walking in the darkness, living in truth and receiving truth, or living in a lie. And it talks us about, about the wise person versus the foolish person who rejects truth and light and rejects godly wisdom. And these guys are being foolish. This response that you see here is a response that, that people have today. They say, I want to hear from God until it goes against what they want to do. They don't want to repent from their sin. They don't want to humble themselves and really say, okay, Lord, uh, I don't understand or uh, I uh, don't know how all this is going to work, but I know that your word is truth and I'm going to be obedient to your word. It is Jeremiah that has already said, you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything that has been sent to you, the word given to you. And here these guys, they they seem like they want to hear from the Lord until it goes against what they want to do. And people do that today. And I think that the reason that people initially will come, it seems like that they want to hear from God. Oh, I I just, I want prayer. I want to hear from God. Well, this is what God's word has to say. Well, I, I don't want to do that. And I've had people that I've talked to, that I've counseled, that I've conversed with, that they've come to me and said just that. Hey, I want to hear from God. I I need prayer. This is what's going on. And I will tell them, this is what the word of the Lord says. Very clearly for your case, uh, for your life, for your circumstance. And they'll say, well, I don't want to do that. Uh, I want to go another direction. I, I think I need to do something else. I don't think that's for me. And they end up rejecting the word of the Lord, and they don't want to humble themselves and, and, and be obedient to the Lord. And, and we need to 
be wise in our lives that when the Lord speaks to us very clearly in his word that we're to obey it and here Jeremiah has spoken the truth of God's word for all these years he's been persecuted for it and now they say that Baruch you know has influenced you to lie now why would they do that we don't know for sure but I do know this that when people are in rebellion against God that they'll come up with just all kinds of unreasonable excuses and accusations and reasons why I'm not going to obey the word of the Lord. Now, Baruch, remember that he was Jeremiah's companion back in chapter 36 uh, when we know that uh, it was uh, Jeremiah that was told to have a scroll that would be written. Baruch was the one that wrote down the words and would give it to the king. So he's a companion of Jeremiah. It's his fault. Uh, not your fault, Jeremiah, but his fault. He's talked you into this. And coming up with all these excuses, let's continue in verse 4. Jo- so Johanna and all the captains of the forces and all the people would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land in Judah. But Johanna and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who returned to dwell in the land of Judah from all the nations where they had been driven. Men, women, and children, the king's daughters, and every person who Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, that is of the Chaldeans, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Anakin. And also Jeremiah and Baruch were taken. So they went into the land, verse 7, of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they went as far as Tephanus. So here, Johanna takes all those who were left in Judah, this, this remnant who he had rescued on the east side of the Jordan River that was under Gedaliah's care, including Jeremiah and Baruch, that they go to Egypt. They said, we want to go to Egypt. We're going to be under the covering of Egypt. We feel like we'll be safe there. It'll be good for us. That's where we're going to go. Nearly a thousand years before this time here, that God said, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to free you from Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world. And here they had come into the land. And you recall that as the Lord would remind them when they were in disobedience from the time after Solomon until this time that I brought you out of Egypt. I gave you this land. I freed you from Egypt. Um, And I'll work on your behalf if you trust me and turn to me. But they didn't. And oftentimes what they would do is they would look to Egypt to be their answer. Uh, Even when they're in the wilderness wandering, you know, as you read those Uh, stories there in in the book of Exodus and in the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy that they would cry out, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. It was easier. And I think that as we see this once again, every time that they look to Egypt for help, to help them with the military alliance, even as the Lord said, Egypt's not going to help you. They go to Egypt now, and Egypt is not going to help them. It's going to lead to their destruction and devastation and and their death, even as the Lord says. And what we're being told here through Jeremiah is simply this, that don't go back to Egypt, folks. We as Christians, we're free from the world. 
We've been free from Egypt, and we're to remain in the promised land. And the promised land is a picture of, of a life for us as Christians of provision and protection and blessing. As he told them, I want to bring you into the promised land, and I'm going to provide for you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good land. And he wants us to remain there in faith as we trust in him and as we obey him. But sometimes Christians think, I'll, I'll go back to the world. I'm going to go back to the old hangouts and the old ways and the world's philosophies and the world's methods and the world's wisdom when God wants us to stay put and to trust in him and to walk in godly wisdom. And he promises that he will provide for us and be our safety. But if you go back to Egypt, you're going to experience famine. Hey, woe to the rebellious children of Israel, Isaiah would say to the people, for you seek counsel, and the Lord said, but not of me. And you're going to Egypt, and Pharaoh's wisdom is not going to help you. The fast Arabian horses is not going to help you. But in coming to me, and waiting on me, and hearing from me, that you're going to see that I'm going to work on your behalf. And I'll be a voice behind you saying, this is the way walk in it. Go to the left or go to the right. And here we see that once again, they're desiring to go to Egypt thinking that things are going to be better when the word of the Lord said, don't go to the world. Christians, listen, it's very easy for us to be deceived and to begin to adopt the world's philosophy and ways when we are to obey the word of the Lord. And I think that we see that more, that there are those who are saying, we're going to follow the world's philosophy, the world's ways, the world's morality, and all of this. And it's just leading to their walk with the Lord, their, their closeness to the Lord, the gladness and peace of the Lord just drying up and the devastation and being, de being deceived by the world, being blinded by the world, and it's just bad news. So we don't want to go back to Egypt. And, and the very thing that they were freed from and being freed from Egypt is the very thing that they're going back to. And if you go back to Egypt, you're going to experience Egypt in a way that is going to be very much of a negative, negative effect on our Christian walk. But let's continue here as we read in verse 8. That then he called Johanna and all the captains of, um, or, or excuse me, in the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and to Phanis, saying, Take large stones in your hand and hide them in the sight of the men of Judah in the clay and the brick in the courtyard which is at the entrance to Pharaoh's house and to Phanis. And say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will sin and bring Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his royal pavilion over them. And when he comes, he shall strike the land of Egypt and deliver to death those appointed for death, and to captivity those appointed for captivity, and to the sword those appointed for the sword. Verse 12. And I will kindle a fire in the houses of the gods of Egypt, and shall burn them and carry them away captive. And he shall array himself with the land of Egypt, and shepherds shall put on his garments, and he shall go out from there in peace. He shall also break the sacred pillars of Beth Shemesh that are in the land of Egypt and the houses of the gods of the Egyptians she shall burn with fire. So Jeremiah was to take some stones and bury them in the clay under the brick pavement in a large courtyard at the entrance of Pharaoh's palace. And this probably wasn't the main palace of Pharaoh, 
but more of a governmental building, a palace where he would stay when visiting that area that they're in, Tafanis. Uh, a pretty area, very fertile area. It's, it's kind of like Herod. That he had a place in Jerusalem, but that wasn't his main palace that he stayed in. He would go to Jerusalem, Herod the Great, when there was feast. Pontius Pilate would go and stay in Herod's palace during the feast. But in Caesarea on the coast, that was very beautiful. That's the main place that Pontius Pilate and Herod the Great would stay as they oversaw uh, Judea, as they ruled over that area. Pontius Pilate being the governor, Herod was the King Herod, as you know, at the time of the birth of Jesus. And they'd done excavations, and you can see where, where Herod had his palace, where he had pools and all that stuff in Caesarea, a very beautiful place. But here was a place where when the Pharaoh came that he would stay when visiting that area. And these stones would mark the spot where um, Nebuchadnezzar would end up, as he took over Egypt, he would end up putting up his throne, his little portable throne. And you guys are going to fall by death, sword, and famine. Uh, captivity. Because you rejected the word of the Lord. And that's going to come to you because you flee to Egypt. And that w- what we see here in chapter 43 is something very important for us. And that is God's word. Listen, as Jeremiah is told to put these stones here, it's going to mark where Nebuchadnezzar is going to sit his throne up. This is going to be a sign for that. But God's word is rock solid. Always remember that God's word is rock solid. And Jesus himself said that every dot and tittle of his word is going to be fulfilled of God's word. We know that, uh, that the flower will fade and the grass will wither, but the word of God will last forever. And Jesus said the word of God will stand forever. All these things are going to be fulfilled that, that we read about. And we know that his word is rock solid. And if you follow after Egypt, if you follow after anything other than God's word, you're on shaky ground. You're on shaky ground. And remember that it was Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that we saw on Sunday morning in Matthew chapter 7. He said that here's the wise man that he built upon the solid foundation. And that was the one that hears these sayings of mine and then does them. And he's like in the one that builds his house upon a solid foundation. And when the storms came, that is, the rains came and the wind blew against the house, that house was able to stand. Don't be like the one, the fool who built upon shaky ground, and he is like the one that hears these words of mine, but does not do them. When the storms came, great was the fall of that house. And it correlates so well with what we're talking about. They had rejected what God had said. We're not going to do the sayings of God. We're not going to obey his voice. And they're on shaky ground. And they ended up, the destruction was great. But those who plant themselves on the solid ground of Jesus Christ, listen, that you're going to be blessed. And there's safety and stability. He is that place of stability for you and for me as we're walking in obedience. So trust him. Look to him. And then obey him. And as you do... You're going to see the strength of the Lord being worked out in your life. 
So we're going to stop there at chapter 43, and we'll go into chapter 44 next time. And I, I do want to just pray for you as Father. These lessons that are here are for us, and they're very important lessons, lessons that we know, that is to walk in your ways, to not disobey your voice, to not run to Egypt, because there's nothing but captivity there. Um, there's nothing but but pain, and, and there's going to be... Uh, Lord, the consequences of Egypt. We want to walk in your wisdom. We want to walk in your ways. And Lord, to obey your voice. I thank you for these truths given to us. So Lord, we want to be on solid ground according to your word because your word is rock solid. It is truth and for our benefit. So bless everyone here as we continue through our week. May we just look to you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.